fascinating thing happened in our house this weekend. Ada and Juliana got in an argument and they ended up crying in different rooms. Now this, rest assured, is not the fascinating thing of which I speak, for this unfortunately is altogether too common. They are, after all, siblings. Now the fascinating thing is what happened after this. After April and I had talked to both girls, had heard them out and had tried our best to mediate the situation, after that we left both girls alone to sort through their various emotions, Juliana in their bedroom, Ada upstairs in the playroom. Well, about 10 minutes later, as April and I stood talking about things in the kitchen, which importantly for this story is within earshot of the playroom, right about then we soon heard Ada talking. And confused about whom she might be talking to, we stopped our conversation and listened closely. And this is what we heard. Alexa, what do you do when you're upset at your sister and you're in a fight? To which Alexa, the Amazon cloud-based voice service, responded by giving Ada an answer about how to handle her emotions. And upon hearing this surreal exchange, April looked to me and said, Welcome to the 21st century. Now this whole thing may not sound fascinating to you, but it's a deeply fascinating thing to me. And it's also a somewhat troubling thing to me. And here's why I bring it up this morning. I bring it up this morning in order to talk about the way new technologies are now being designed to determine for us how we should think, feel, act, and live. And while this may sound to you like an exaggeration, I assure you it is not. For it is quite literally the stated goal of numerous tech engineers and Silicon Valley visionaries. And in order to understand how these folks believe such an extraordinary thing could be possible, we must first understand what an algorithm is. And then from there, we must understand that many leading scientists are now saying that human beings are but mere algorithms. Not individuals with essential selves. Not unique souls created in the image of God. No. No, just an aggregation of sensations, emotions, and desires. Just a complex algorithm. Here's how scholar Yuval Noah Harari puts it, and I quote, 99% of our decisions, including our most important life choices, are made by the highly refined algorithms we call our sensations, emotions, and desires. In other words, for people like Harari, what we do is exclusively determined by our algorithmic nature which means that the more these sensations, emotions, and desires can be understood, which is to say the more they can be remembered and filed away and analyzed and extrapolated upon, 
then the more what's best for us, which is to say what we most want, what we most desire, then those things can be better determined for us by them. Get it? And thus it's a matter for them of taking our countless sensations, emotions, and desires, that is, of fine-tuning the human algorithm, as it were, so as to better direct each of our lives toward excitement. And so that is what they intend to do for us. Sift through the millions of sensations, emotions, and desires that take place daily inside of us and use that information to make our lives happier. And how, you ask, could they possibly do this? How could someone outside of ourselves possibly gain access to the countless sensations, emotions, and desires that take place daily within us? Well, that's quite simple. Through religiously analyzing what we look at, like, share, and say on the internet. Now, I promise this whole sermon will not be this deep in the theoretical and technological weeds. But in order for the rest of this sermon to make sense, it's vital that we first establish this central framework. We have to first understand what an algorithm is. We have to then understand that life scientists and tech engineers are increasingly treating human beings as algorithms. And we have to then understand that the ostensible goal of treating us as algorithms is to help determine for us what we most want, what we most desire, what will make us happier. Only, and here's the thing, and here's the crux of this morning's sermon, only we need to ask ourselves, are we really just algorithms? Is that all humanity is? The sum total of our emotions, sensations, and desires? Or are we something else, something more? And then after asking ourselves that, we must ask ourselves this. And are these technologies that are treating us as algorithms really making us happier? Or are they in fact making us more anxious? making us angrier, making us more suspicious of one another, making us more cynical about the world. Yes, first we must ask ourselves, are these technologies really improving our lives? Or are they slowly tearing us apart? Leading me now to our gospel lesson for today. Here in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus addresses a crowd that has been following him for some time now. A crowd that has hung on his every word, but a crowd that nonetheless remains anxious about their own lives and about how following Jesus might allay this existential concern of theirs. And so here now Jesus, looking out at these following him, seeing their exhausted faces, 
perceiving their heavy hearts, sensing their anxious spirits. Here now, Jesus says something so powerful, so captivating, so comforting. It has the power of seizing us as readers 2,000 years later. Here now, Jesus, seeing this, sensing this, perceiving this, says to them, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, you who are troubled and weary, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Or as the message translation puts it, are you tired? Are you tired? Well, watch how I do it. And learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. Is that not an exquisite phrase? Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. You know what doesn't help us learn the unforced rhythms of grace? The algorithms that today control so much of our lives. Let me tell you about a decision I made about six weeks ago. About six weeks ago, I decided to take all social media applications off of my phone. I decided to stop posting on platforms like Facebook. I decided to stop checking social media with any frequency, limiting my time on the platforms to a few minutes per week. And here's why I decided to do this. I decided to do this because I realized just how much of my time and energy social media and the internet in general was absorbing. But even more than that, I realized how much of an adverse spiritual and emotional effect it was having on me. From the always sensational headlines of the articles I'd see shared, to the heated and uncharitable exchanges I'd see unfold between people I know and love. From the way I felt I must always be checking to see who had liked my posts and who had left me comments, to the way this narcissistic preoccupation was keeping me from being present to the people and the things that mattered to me most. Because of all of this and so much more, I just had enough. I just had enough. Just exhausted by it. There's a poignant scene in the film The Green Mile where the falsely accused character John Coffey, played by Michael Clark Duncan, says with tears in his eyes to Tom Hanks' character, he says, I'm just so tired, boss. So tired of many things. But mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world. Every day. There's just too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. And then he says to Tom Hanks, can you understand? Can you understand? Well, I can understand. And I have little doubt that you can understand too. Almost all of us are tired. Tired of watching people be so vile to one another. 
Tired of being so vile to one another ourselves. Tired of being emotionally swept away by what others say and do. Tired of feeling like every day we must fight to defend our opinion, our side, our team, our view of the world. And almost always at the expense of decency and civility and generosity and self-control. Almost all of us, like John Coffey, are just tired of it. And the reason I bring this up today is simply to remind us it doesn't have to be this way. For despite what certain life scientists and tech engineers claim, we are not mere algorithms. Which is to say we don't have to be this predictable, this manipulable. No, instead, we are unique individuals created by God with personal agency, which means we can determine for ourselves what we see and what we don't see, what we desire and what we don't desire, what we look at and what we don't, what we give our emotional energy to and what we hold it back from. This is all true. We have that kind of control. But lest we be on guard, we forfeit a great deal of this control whenever we open our computers or take out our smartphones. Because please understand, the moment we do, these ever-present algorithms immediately begin working, working overtime, to determine what will most elicit our attention, what will most evoke our emotion what will keep us on the platform longest, what will keep us coming back for more. And sadly, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, sadly, these are not the things that most provoke us and addict us and thereby drive ad revenue which is, of course, the whole ball game. No, sadly, what keeps us coming back for more is anger and anxiety and outrage and the emotional deliciousness of identifying with our team and then feeling morally and intellectually superior to people on the other one. Yes, what keeps us coming back for more is the powerful belief that we are changing other people, their views, their beliefs, their attitudes, when really, unbeknownst to us, it is we ourselves who are being changed by it. Listen to this. Describing the ultimate agenda of social media, the end game of it all, tech pioneer Jaron Lanier says, and I quote, the goal is the gradual slight imperceptible change in a user's behavior and perception. The gradual slight imperceptible change in the user. The end game. In other words, it's all deliberate. And with every click, every like, every share, these databases further understand what most viscerally excites us and thus what will make us most powerfully emote 
and thereby further addict us and further shape us gradually, slightly, imperceptibly into different people. I want you to think about it. Have you noticed that certain people you've known your whole lives suddenly seem just a little angrier, a little colder, a little meaner, a little more cynical, a little less charitable? That's not accidental. That's the point. And it's not evil and malicious, it's just the logic of the algorithm. Pinpoint that which most excites us, which most makes us emote and keep feeding us more of that. Well, for my part, I'm just tired of it. Like John Coffey, I'm just tired of it. And so it's a breath of fresh air for me in my exhaustion to hear afresh these ancient words from Jesus saying to me, saying to all of us, are you tired? Then watch me. and Learn from me the unforced rhythms of grace. Speaking of the unforced rhythms of grace, listen to this story Beth Bennett sent to me for our current sermon series. Once, Beth writes, when I was out of high school and going through a difficult time in my life, my daddy sent me a card. And on the inside, he had written, Honey, always remember, God's grace is sufficient. From there, Beth went on to explain how this verse, coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, had been particularly important in her father's life of how this promise and assurance of the sufficiency of God's grace had helped her father through one of the most difficult times he'd ever been through and had continued to help him throughout his whole life. Then years later, Beth went on, at Daddy's funeral, my brother revealed to me that he too had been the recipient of such a card, that on the day he left home for navigator school in the Air Force, he received a letter that said, I wish you Godspeed, dear son. And always remember, God's grace is sufficient. Sometimes today I think of this passage, Beth concludes, and I think of my daddy. And when I'm reflecting on how God has brought me through so many difficult circumstances, I sometimes think to myself, wow, God's grace really was sufficient. God's grace really was sufficient. You know, the sufficiency of grace truly is a wondrous and remarkable thing. How when we least expect it, God quietly shows up and comforts us. Subtly guiding our lives in the direction of what will be most healing and wholesome for us. And perhaps what's most amazing about this truth is the way God's grace typically comes to us in the form of other human beings. Many times those we would least expect. Most times when we would least expect them. And while it always surprises us when grace appears to us in this fashion in the guise of everyday human beings, this ought not to surprise us. 
For it is God's very design for grace to work this way. For we as humanity are quite literally wired in this way. For as human beings, we are part of a vast network. Our own lives constantly affecting the lives of others. The things we do, no matter how small, constantly making others' lives a little better or a little worse. The things others do, no matter how small, constantly doing the same for us in turn. Lest we ever forget, we are interconnected. And so then when Jesus says, watch me, live as I live, do as I do, his point then is that if we will just focus on living simply like him, that if we will just focus on doing justly, and acting kindly and walking humbly, his point is that if we'll just do this, then not only will we know peace, but we will also begin to radiate peace. And then in consequence, not only we ourselves, but the entire system of humanity, the entire interconnected network, will therefore become that much more peaceful, that much healthier of an organism. In other words, you could say that Jesus is, in a sense, saying that we really are algorithms. But not algorithms in the sense the life scientists and the tech engineers say we are. But instead, algorithms of grace. Every act, every word, every deed, every thought of every human being contributing to the peace and the growth and the goodness and the expansion of the human network of which we're all a part. Yes, what Jesus is in effect saying here, what Jesus is reminding us of here, is that God's grace is proved sufficient time and time again due to the proper functioning of the human algorithm. Of one member of the network extending a little bit of love and kindness and joy and generosity to another over and over and over again, quietly, consistently, unconditionally. In 21st century terms, this is what it means to be the body of Christ. Just as this in 21st century terms is what it means to learn from Jesus the unforced rhythms of grace. It means recognizing that we really are interconnected, that we really do rise and fall together, that we really are our siblings' keepers, and then acting in accordance with this, our human design. I'll draw to a close by saying this. I'm no Luddite. Please understand, I'm on no crusade against technology. I'm not telling you you need to unplug from social media or follow the same course I've recently taken. I'm not even saying that I will forever remain this disengaged from the internet and social media myself. I'm simply reminding you that if you, like me, and like Michael Clark Duncan in The Green Mile, and like so many others with whom I've spoken about this, 
I'm simply reminding you that if you too are tired, then unplugging for a while is always a viable and available option. And so having said that, here now is the rest of that story about Ada and Juliana. As Ada listened to Alexa explain to her how to handle her emotions, that is, how to think about the tiff she was in with her sister, her sibling. As she was listening to that, Juliana suddenly walked past April and me in the kitchen and quietly walked up the stairs to the playroom where Ada was sitting with her robotic sage. And suddenly we heard Juliana, five-year-old, say to her sister, I'm sorry, Ada. We can play your game if you want to. And from there we could hear Ada giving her sister a hug and thanking her. And there it was yet again, the grace of God appearing when we least expected it, how we least expected it, yet insufficient measure as always. And the point of the story, gang, we don't have to outsource the deepest emotions of our lives. We don't have to go to technology to sift through and experience the most profound moments of our lives. Instead, we just have to attend to the people in the next room, to the tired, exhausted, heavy-laden siblings all around us, the ones who often frustrate us to no end, the ones who may or may not share our view on any number of topics. For this, after all, is the work of discipleship. And this, after all, is what it means to be the body of Christ. And so in a time when so many of us are weary and heavy laden, made tired by all of the ugliness and the meanness in the world, in such a time let us remember that we are not algorithms in the sense so many today claim we are. But let us also remember that we are, however, algorithms of grace. And so remembering that, let us then hear Christ's call to do as he does, to live as he lives, so that the unforced rhythms of grace that we learn from him might make known to the world the sufficiency of the human algorithm, otherwise known as the body of Christ on earth. Amen.